0: Looking forward to it, Ross. Thank you. Morning. I have so many tools. This is going to be so much fun. Uh, I've had one of those weeks where I feel like I preached every single day somewhere. Just bring my tools, bring my, my games. And uh, I, uh, I said to my wife last night, I got home from doing a wedding, and I said to her, babe, how's about you preach? Because she's been preaching, like, she's been preaching Shloty last week, she was in Kluv, she's just been all over the show. She looked at me with love in her eyes and said, not a chance. And then she she just carried on her life. But anyway, she'll be here just now. Uh, I won't say it in the second service. But we started a really great service or series last week, Psalms for a Saturated Soul. And isn't it great having Shivian on our team? He's just, how's that gift for, for an ad? It's just a real gift. And uh, he opened up Psalm 42. And he basically said that our, our souls are not empty. They're saturated. They, they're too full. So here's what happens is every time you... Yeah, yeah, be scared. Every time you hear... Electricity is going up by 18%. It's like a little nick. A mate just decided he was gonna leave. Uh, the economy has got worse. I was about to bring imports in and the US dollar. My, my f- wife just said that to me. My kids aren't sleeping. Everyone's flipping got flu. Someone gave me a hug, and she had mumps <laughs> <No>. <laughs> yeah, I know you don't, you don 't know how much I was saying no. every time you do this, you shake your soul, and if you don 't explode, which is you know the The writer of Scripture says, do not be weary in doing good. That word weary, it actually means do not behave badly. That's actually what it means. Don't stop doing good. Don't behave badly. If you don't explode, behave badly, and you just leave your soul with everything that's coming in, well, by the end of the service, that coke will be flat. We have two extreme results of what's happening to our souls when not dealt with properly explosions and depression. Exploding out or flat. And what's happening in this world is that we've got people who are going to work pouring out their souls. Serving, helping, trying to make the business work, it's tough. And, and what they're doing is they are expressing themselves and giving of their all. Then they're getting home. And if you're a parent, your kids come and those parasites just want all of you and you're so exhausted. And then you try to give them some. And then by 7.30, you're almost, you're just like. <laughs> and then what happens is you somehow someone makes dinner my wife tells me it's only her, but I tell her it's also me. Someone makes dinner. I need someone with strong fingers. Yeah, he's hurt me with his fingers before. He can get those things on. And, and what they do, they make you a meal, and you have a moment of flavor. Just like a little bit of life. Thank you, bud. And then what we most people are doing nowadays is you, you get into bed by 8 o'clock. And then what you do is you... Instead of going to sleep like you should, you start watching a bit of series, add a little bit of social networking, scroll a little bit, read the news about the worst thing eight billion people can do to each other. I mean, that's basically the news. And what starts to happen is what could have been just dollops, just enough stimulus, just right amounts, starts to become oversaturation. I tried to get that gray because I was working next to my little daughter and she was painting and she just kept adding color and color and color until the whole thing just went gray. But this is what's happening to our souls. We're filling them up with social media and series binging and as much stuff to try and avoid the discomfort that we're living in, and the result is something black or gray. You know that um, cognitive behavioral therapists, so smart psychologists, are saying they're talking about um, dopamine detoxes. So dopamine is the brilliant chemical that God put into your brain to enjoy doing good things. Every time you have a connection with your wife, Especially a physical connection. You get dopamine every time you win at something. Every time you read something stimulating. Every time you see a sunrise or a sunset, you get dopamine. Dopamine is like a drug. It makes you want to do it again. And what people have done is they found out how you get dopamine and programmed it into your cell phone so that you can keep getting dopamine fixes. So what... Cognitive behavioral therapists have done is they said, let's work out how to dopamine stop fast. How do we detox? How do you stop overstimulating yourself? How do you stop pouring more and more stuff into you? How do you not watch series at night? Not turn on your phone then? Don't get stimulated by that. Go for a walk instead. How do you get out of the mess that we're in? Because our souls are so oversaturated. The Bible Calls that pouring out your soul. Now, if you missed last week, Shevin did such a good job about how you pour out your soul. So I'm not going to go there. What I'm going to speak about today is the three giants that will kill you if you don't learn how to pour out your soul. I'm going to give you the three weapons you need to kill three giants that are after destroying your soul. So, on that light note, let's read from Psalm 42. It says this, as the deer pants for streams of water, so my soul pants for you, my God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When can I go and meet with God? My tears have been my food day and night, while people say to me all day long, where is your God? What's brilliant about David, I mean, because like, like, he significantly messed up his life. When you, th- you think about it, I mean, he did some unbelievably good things and some unbelievably bad things regularly. Like if there was anyone who was going like to mess up, Peter and David, they just keep doing it. And yet, he managed to keep writing himself. It's phenomenal. If I'd killed my best mate after sleeping with his wife, like, I would have issues. David righted himself. And here's how he does it. He reorientates himself again and again to the purpose of his life, which is to be a worshiper, to carry the presence of God. And that's what he's doing here. He's going, my soul needs you, God, so much. I'm too broken. I need more of you. My, I thirst for you. He's reorientating himself. And then he says, my tears have been my food day and night. You ever ugly cry so much? that you can commentate on yourself. Like you're past having emotion because you're just so numb. Now he's starting to talk about how messed up he is. He's got that far. so That's where he's, he's got to. He reorientates and then he starts commentating. And then he says, where is, people are saying to me, where is your God? Now, in order to understand this story, you have to understand the backstory. Psalm 42 and Psalm 43 are actually one song. They were written when David's son Absalom came and kicked him out of the palace. So here's the kind of setup. David has numbers of of sons. Uh, Back then, you could have a few wives. Don't know why they would do that to themselves, but they had numerous wives. David had numerous kids. And the result of that was chaos. So he has one son, son, Amnon. And in in 2 Samuel 13, it says, in the course of time, Amnon, son of David, fell in love with Tamar, the beautiful sister of Absalom, son of David. Which is kind of weird. He fell in love with his half-sister, Absalom's pure sister. And if you don't know the story, he comes up with a conniving trick and he manages to get her to feed him. And in the process, he rapes her. Absalom, who loves his sister, is mad. And he takes her into his home. It says in 13, verse 20, it says, Her brother Absalom said to her, Has that Amnon, your brother, been with you? Be quiet for now, my sister. He is your brother don't take this thing to heart. I don't know about that advice. And then he says, and Tamar lived in her brother Absalom's house, a desolate woman. I want you to just imagine, your beautiful sister, who you love deeply, is in your house. Every day you see her desolate. Go to bed, wake up the next day. And then your you're brand thinking, why isn't dad doing something? It says David's furious, but he doesn't do anything. And this is just going on and on and on. Eventually, he makes up a plan. It takes him two years, and he invites all of David's sons to a party, and then he kills Amnon. He's planned it for two years. He's got his escape route. He disappears, and for three years, he hides. Eventually, David, who's been mourning his other son's death, Eventually, David gets drawn into bringing Absalom back, but he can only bring him back to outside of Jerusalem. He doesn't want to connect with him. He's too angry. Two years of that, and eventually Job manages to pull Absalom to David. And David accepts him back and pardons him. And Absalom uses that pardon because what's gotten to his heart has now grown too big. He uses that pardon and he starts a campaign against David. And four years after that, Absalom has won the people over to his cause and he marches on the temple. And David hears these words from one of his advisors. He hears, All of Israel is coming to attack you, your son will kill you. And David runs. You want to know pain? This is probably a man in his 60s, and he's feeling a sense of betrayal. You know what betrayal feels like. Man, betrayal hurts. Not just betrayal from anyone. Betrayal from his son. You know what betrayal is? It's it's when someone takes the trust you've given them and uses it against you. He's got that. And he experiences rejection because the people he's literally risked his life for again and again and again are coming after him. And it's not just betrayal and rejection, but he's running with nothing. He's bankrupt. He's lost all that he's built up, and he's running into the wilderness. So he's experiencing loss. And there's one more thing he's experiencing because he daffed up. He's experiencing shame. And I want to talk to you about how he manages this stuff so that you can work out how to pour out your soul so that Satan doesn't kill you when you're in the wilderness. Almost got you, eh? It says in 2 Samuel 16, a man from the same clan as Saul's family came out from there as David was running. His name was Shimei, son of Gerah, and he cursed as he came out. He pelted David and all the king's officials with stones, though all the troops and the special guard were on David's right and left. As he cursed, Shimei said, get out, get out, you murderer, you scoundrel. The Lord has repaid you. For all the blood you shed in the household of Saul, in whose place you have reigned. The Lord has given the kingdom into the hands of your son Absalom. You have come to ruin because you're a murderer. One of his mates says to David, shall I just kill him? And David goes, no. God will restore. When you've gone through that and you're stuck in the wilderness... And we don't really know how long David was in the wilderness for, but let's assume it was a month. And in the wilderness, you start writing down your thoughts, and eventually it becomes a song, and you start the song, as the deer pants for streams of water, so my soul pants for you, my God, my soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When can I go and meet with God? My tears have been my food all day long, while people say to me all day, where is your God? What David's doing in that, while well, people say to me all day long, where's your God? What he's doing is he's verbalizing the attack that's coming at him. He's verbalizing Shimei's words in his, in his head that are echoing around his head. Now, I want to say to you that um, I have watched Christians be killed in their souls. There's a, a Japanese theologian, he says, He said, many Christians in the West are too alive to be dead, but too dead to be fully living. I have seen many Christians killed in the soul, not by what they lost. You see, I've seen Christians lose palaces. I've seen Christians lose all their stuff. I've seen Christians lose businesses. I've seen Christians lose wives. I've seen Christians, God forbid, in this church, incredible people who've lost their own children and I've seen them get up again. I've seen them get up after losing stuff that most of us couldn't imagine losing. I've seen them get up richer than when they went down. There are people in this church that make me know that whatever gets taken away from me, I can recover from. You see, it's not what gets taken away from Christians that kills them. It's what goes into them that kills them. Absalom lets in bitterness. And what's coming after David is three big things. Betrayal, rejection, and shame. I want to speak about these three things because there are people in this room who've had a business partner take their idea and half the company and made it their company. There are people in here who've had wives land up with mates. There are people here who have experienced family kick them out. There, there is so much betrayal that has happened in this room alone. Because betrayal is kind of part of life. And Satan would love to use it to absolutely crush you, but God has given you a weapon that will absolutely kill it. The weapon is forgiveness. Now, just so you know, I'm not going to try and make you cry today. I'm going to teach you how to get out of a mess because I've got myself into messes and God has, by His grace, led me out. Forgiveness is like a gun and betrayal is like a knife. There's that saying, don't take... A knife to a gunfight. But I want to say this a knife is better than a gun at close quarters. Betrayal that is held close will kill you. If you want to kill betrayal, you have to push it away and shoot it with forgiveness again and again and again. Forgiveness. It works like this, and you can see David living it out so well. He says to his commanders, because they come, and he organizes them. He goes, we've got 600 men. You're the commander of this. You do this, 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 this. And then he says, one warning. Don't kill my boy. He's just lost. Don't you hurt him. That's forgiveness. See, forgiveness is a decision. It's not a feeling. This is, this is how it plays out. You get betrayed and you decide to forgive. Then what happens is your feelings go like this, like a swing. And they keep bouncing back. I flipping hate him. I want to kill him. I forgive him. I want to kill him. I forgive him. Please, Lord, take away every single thing he owns. I forgive him. I hope that his car crashes into the sea. Forgive him. This is, this is how it works. And it swings and it swings and swings. And every time you say, I forgive him, I forgive him, I forgive him, I forgive her, I forgive her, I forgive her. What happens is the swing it just gets slower and slower and slower. And one day you wake up. And betrayal's dead. It doesn't hurt you anymore. And living water can come flowing in again. some of you need to get your gun out <laughs> and push the knife away and shoot and shoot and shoot and shoot and shoot until the motions stop. But the feeling takes a long time. The second thing that's coming out of I'm sure I should crack some jokes now because you are so looking <laughs> serious. open the Coke. We'll have some here. <laughs> the second thing that's coming at David is rejection. Now, contrary to what some of you are feeling, betrayal is a small giant. Rejection is a bigger giant. Rejection, it, it gets in and it, it cuts. And it, it will literally maim you. What happens with, with David is that he has had rejection. He knows rejection well. You know when he writes in Psalm 23, my, you anoint my head with oil, my cup overflows. He, he says, in the presence of my enemies. He's talking about when he was with his brothers and his father and anointed by Samuel. The reason he's saying that is many theologians believe he was like a, a son of a concubine or someone else. And so he didn't fit into the family. He was actually hated by the family. So he's the guy who gets sent out. And he's sitting there, and Samuel comes up to him and anoints his head in the presence of his enemies. He has lived with rejection. And then he kills Goliath, and he's charging ahead, and stuff's going forward, and then Saul gets jealous and rejects him. And for 13 years, Israel chases him, and now he's in his 60s, and he's facing rejection again. I don't know if any of you have woken up ever and gone, Flip, I've beaten this thing before. What the heck? Why is it still in my life? Anyone ever have that? Yeah. Let me tell you why. Satan aims to bruise you and then keep hitting you in the same place. And you can wash it out and you can get rid of it, but you're against a very experienced clever boxer, and he's going to try and find the same spot again and hit you again. And rejection is one of those things that he's going to go after again and again. And here's your weapon. You want to know what your weapon is? Let rejection redirect you. Let rejection redirect you. See, Jesus... It says, he was a man acquainted with suffering and the bitterest of grief. He was despised and rejected. His entire life was rejection. In fact, in the beginning, the Word was with God and the Word was God. And the Word was made flesh and he dwelt amongst us. He came into the world that he had created, but they didn't recognize him. You know, when you see someone that you really loved, an old teacher or whatever, and they don't recognize you, it hurts. (laughs) It doesn't hurt nearly as much as the next line that says, He came to His own, His own kin, His own people, and they rejected Him. Jesus lived rejected. Everywhere He went, He was rejected. What rejection does is it helps you to redirect. Okay, I don't fit here. I don't fit there. I don't fit there. And what you start to realize is that you are unique and you're different. It's a good thing. I mean, let's face it. How many of you got rejected somewhere down the line by some girl, some guy, and then you're scrolling through Facebook and you saw them? And you thought to yourself, thank you, Jesus, that she didn't accept me. <laughs> or you got that, you applied for that job and you got denied. And the company's folded and you just go, oh, thank you, Lord, for not answering that prayer. <laughs> or, or that group of friends. You, you got rejected, you were so hurt. And now you look at them and consumerism has grabbed that whole community of people and they've landed up there. And you just go, thank you, Jesus, that you protected my heart. You've got to understand, rejection is a bit of a gift. You see, the stone that was rejected has become the cornerstone, it says of Jesus. Here's the thought if Jesus was accepted by the builders, they would have swallowed him up into their system, and we wouldn't have seen his uniqueness as the cornerstone and built our lives around it. You see, reject, if you get rejected a bunch and a bunch, what's happening is that that's not your tribe. You're unique. And part of the reason it's so sore for you is you're trying to be like them, but you're not like them. You should be unique. And if you would just be uniquely you, your tribe would find you. I was uh, was on a game farm a little while ago, and uh, I was watching some impala with some bushbuck. Now, bushbuck hang hang out in ones and twos and threes. Impala hang out in thirties and forties. And uh, I'm I'm just enjoying the bushbuck, and I feel the Holy Spirit say to me, I mean the impala and bushbuck, I feel the Holy Spirit say to me, you're a bushbuck. So I'm like, what was that all about? Now I'm looking, and he says, and some of the time you're trying to be an impala, but you're not, you're a bushbuck. Impala come to eat with bushbuck because bushbuck have more acute senses, They pick up danger faster. They're smarter as animals. And what he was saying to me is, you're not like everybody else. You're called to serve them, but you're not called to be one of them. I will put you in your little herd of bushbuck. You'll have the people you need loving and helping you, but stop trying to be an impala. Stop trying to fit in to communities That you probably won't. Be you. Allow rejection to redirect you so that you can be distinct. You will attract people like you and you will find your tribe. If you are just like the rest of the flipping world, what have you got to give them? We're different. The Bible calls us aliens, unique. We're supposed to be completely distinct. Rejection helps you know that. Let it redirect you. Last one. Betrayal. Sometimes I preach you guys like me. Sometimes I preach you just look at me. Anyway. (laughs) Friends, if there's one thing that will kill you, it's, it's shame. David is actually on a in a fight for his life against shame. He, he does superbly well with betrayal. He does really well with rejection. But shame is hard. I'll tell you why shame is hard. You know, when we sin, there, there are different types of sin. There's sin that means falling short of the mark. There's another word for sin. It's called transgression. It's when you deliberately do what is wrong. And so... What's going on with David, and the reason he goes into shame, remember that shame is not I made a mistake, shame is I am a mistake. Your mistake has become your identity. The reason he's going into that is because it's his fault. A big part of this problem is his fault. He should have disciplined Amnon and protected Tamar. He probably should have stoned his son Amnon. And he didn't. And so Absalom was given the unfair opportunity to carry the weight of his sister's pain. That was David's weight, and he didn't carry it. And he knew that. He's he's carrying shame because when Absalom killed Amnon, he should have let the law take care of the rest. And Absalom should have been stoned, according to the law. But he didn't. He pardoned him. And now this thing has come back and it's bitten him and he knows it's his fault. Let me tell you what kills you. It's when you sit down and you stare at yourself in the mirror and you go, this business I'm losing, it's my fault. I'm a big part of this. This marriage that's collapsing, I tried so hard, but it's actually my fault. When you start facing up to what you've done and realize you're bearing the consequences of it, that's when shame comes at you. And what it does is it leaves you hopeless because it says you are the mistake. You're never going to get this right. You tried again and again to get it right, and you got it wrong. Now, I was preaching to a couple of hundred pastors about this on Thursday. So I used pastor language because I've gone through this thing, this shame thing. And you've got to know this, that Jesus went to the cross naked. He was, they put a crown on his head to rip him off, to emasculate him, to, to say to everybody, oh, you think you're a king? Get off the cross then. You think you're a king? Wear your followers. You know what they were doing? They were shaming him Shimei was shaming David. He was putting words into his mind. And the greatest battle you will ever face is getting those words out your mind. And here's how you do it. You go, Jesus, firstly, I put my shame onto you. Please give me your glory. And then you know this. Because Jesus only wants good for you, he will lead you into his glory. You know how he does it. He gets some sages around you. He gets some people around you who will help you identify the muck inside of you, the roots inside that are determining the roots you go on. Because, friends, let's face it, we're old enough. Evening service, I'm going to have to preach another message. But we're old enough to know the stupid things we keep doing that keep hurting people, but we keep doing them. We're We're old enough to know our blind spots that are no longer blind. We just pretend to ignore them. We know because we're broken humans. And what you need is the cross of Jesus Christ and some people around you. God sent such incredible people. I had probably like four or five sages, people who knew what to do with my soul. And they came around me and they started to go, you're trying to make about 150 people your best friend don't you think that's a little bit weird? (laughs) What do you think's up with that? And they said, you think there's some rejection down there maybe? Your dad maybe left you when you were born maybe? Should we dig that root out so that you stop the cycle of pain that you're living in? Because Jesus wants you to have a better tomorrow so that we can get rid of some of these roots so that we can change the roots so that we can live in hope. You want to know that it's just unfair how much of an advantage Christians have on the rest of the world because Jesus will come in and he'll give you the people and he'll give you the word that cuts and shows you like a mirror who you are and he'll go, let me pull some roots out of you so that you can change your roots, so that you can change your tomorrow, so that you can have hope again. If you're going to pour out your soul, this is how you have to do it. You have to go. I'm not going to let too much in. I'm going to switch off the stupid series I've been binging on. I'm going to binge on it and then not watch anymore. I'm going to turn off the phone. I'm going to stop saturating my soul. And then I'm going to cry out to God and hang on to him for the, like, like everything depends on it. Then I'm going to fight. I'm going to fight betrayal with forgiveness. And I'm going to fight rejection by redirecting. And I'm going to fight shame with people. And I'm going to pour out my soul. So that God can fill me up again with living water and so that my future does not look flat but looks fuzzy may God give you full souls won't you stand Jesus I pray I really really pray that some of what I said will be like a sword that cuts into people's hearts and minds and I pray that it will stick. And I pray, Jesus, that this week you will loose our people from betrayal and rejection and shame. In Jesus' name, amen. Before you go, thank you, thank you. Before you go, next week we have Kiev Hope here. Uh, please invite some mates. 815 service. You actually need to invite mates. The is full. You are lame. Come, let's invite some mates. And, uh, and the second thing is, uh, if there's anyone who feels we've got 40 of these kids, many of them don't have parents, uh, we need to feed them. If someone feels like, hey, I'd like to be part of that, why don't you give me a shout? I'd love to connect you into a team. God bless. Have a great Sunday.